0: Now on to the podcast. This week on the ABCA Podcast, we head back into the training world with Rockland Peak Performance owner Nunzio Signori. Rockland Peak Performance is a high-performance indoor training facility located in North New Jersey. RPP trains professional and amateur baseball players. Signore is the author of Velocity Baseball Training and Pitcher's Arm Care. Signori has written articles for the ABCA's Inside Pitch Magazine and has spoken at many of the larger baseball clinics in the U.S. Signori has also served as an adjunct professor at St. Thomas Aquinas College, teaching theories and applications of strength and conditioning. In addition, he's a lecturer at Springfield College, SUNY Cortland, and Penn State. In this episode we cover VBT, remote training, long-term athlete development, and new and old training protocols. Let's welcome Nunzio Signori to the podcast.
1: I do not believe in talking without seeing. Somebody, <laughs> I, I, you know, that's I a, hate when that happens. All right, know, great. That, that's been the cool thing with
0: Zoom, honestly. Um, you know, I was using Skype when I first started this thing, and then when COVID hit, you know, Zoom's done such a good job. I just I would rather see somebody's face. I much much easier for me to talk to somebody if I can
1: get eye contact one, with them. One thousand one thousand percent. Yes. I think that uh, you know, it always. The, the, the conversations come out better when you know who you're talking to. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Great, man. This yeah. is going to be fun. Yeah, heck yeah. I, this is, I love being on the other side of this, you know what I mean? So. I do too. I don't get to do it very
0: often, but I, I do like when somebody else is asking me questions um, you know, rather than having to run the thing. Um, but yeah, I've, I've maybe been on maybe four or five other podcasts, but it's always fun. Here was Nunzio Signore, uh, owner of Rockland Peak Performance, uh, author of the book uh, Pitcher's Arm Care. Uh, but Nunzio, thanks for, thanks for jumping on with me.
1: Oh, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, why is I've been Paul- trying to get
1: with you guys for a I- while, man. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: and I, love, I love the training ones. Uh, these are some of my favorite ones because uh, we can dive in and go in a lot of different directions. So these are all my favorites. Let's go. Let's get hey, it done. Hey, why do you think Paul Newman is America's greatest actor?
1: Okay, I think Paul Newman is, I didn't I think um I think the question was who do you consider a really a successful person? I don't know that I think he's the greatest actor, but I consider him one of the most successful people that I admire the most because A, this guy was a this guy was a drop-dead good looking guy. All the girls wanted him, and he managed somehow in the in the in the entertainment business to maintain a one-person marriage his entire life. A, B, he he stayed out of the tabloids, much like Derek Jeter managed to do. Didn't have a lot of bad press about. Him, managed to stay out of that. Um, he raced cars. And he had one of the most successful non-profit businesses with whether it was popcorn or whatever it be, peanut butter or whatever that he gave back to the community. And even in – even uh, when he – in his passing, um, I didn't even know that Paul Newman died until like a year after he died. He managed to really, really do everything privately and he was a movie star and lived his entire life on the East Coast in Connecticut. So he wasn't one of those Hollywood glam guys and he he managed to do it all on his own terms and I think that's a really successful person.
0: Hey, do you think it's because the media is different now? Do do you think if, if what we had, social media now, when he's coming out, do you think it's different? Do you think maybe there's more things out there about him or do you think he just lived his life that way?
1: That could be. It could also be that... The artists and the athletes and the musicians and the actors and the models nowadays are so brought up on social media that they actually are addicted to being in the media whereas a really, really, someone who's really great at what they do does not have to have their picture in the magazines all, every single day even though his were. Um, I don't really think that that was a, a, a huge importance to him. Yeah.
0: Yep. All right, back
1: back to, the,
0: back to the real stuff now. I just wanted to throw that one out there because I was I'm intrigued because yeah. I love I love actors, I yeah. love musicians, um, you know, and and it's just something cool to to bring up. I like when people like the things that I like too, so I like bringing that up. But you know, did COVID bring about the need for remote training?
1: COVID absolutely brought up brought up uh, the need for remote training. I will I will tell you that in my facility. When the lockdown happened, um, that hit us hard, as it hit everybody for a couple for a couple months. Fortunately, in New Jersey, um, they they opened up after four and a half months. Um, we're on the border of New York and New Jersey. Had our facility been in New York, we would have been another nine months of lockdown. So we were fortunate because during the during the lockdown, as soon as that opened up we had college kids who generally would have been in school training, I mean, uh, um, training in our facility when they usually would be training um, at school because they were, you know, doing everything online. So they were home. So we had a year of, of college kids being home, whereas like, you know, right now they're all gone. But yes, it did, it did open re- up remote training. And actually we had always stayed away from remote training um, until the pandemic. And then, you know, we started saying, hey, man, you know, we need to actually we need to we need to spread our brand further than just, um, you know, the local and the pros that live around here. Uh, We need to spread our brand and remote training is an amazing way to do that. And we're having incredible, incredible success with it right now. We actually are getting ready to do uh, CPL, the CPL League. We're going to be doing all of the remote strength training for their athletes should they choose to elect that what are some challenges
0: with that because obviously i I was out of coaching in 19 and so i didn't really get into that side of it what are some of the challenges because i i I mean for me it's like hands-on but what are maybe some of the challenges when you're dealing with somebody that's not not next to you
1: okay so being that myself and the guys that i hire in this facility when i hire guys um their personality and the culture goes a long way into if I hire them. Uh, just what they know for me is not enough. How well they interact with people, they look me in the eyes, what they do, that's all really, really important to me. And that is not as possible when you're in remote training. So I even though I have the greatest pitching and strength coaches and myself and we all really love killing it here, the challenge is to purvey that care and and that that really um that personality um over a text or over phone calls or over a Zoom call like we're doing right now. We try to do as much Zoom as possible because I do think this interaction is huge. And that's 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 one of the biggest ones. The other one is we obviously cannot use all the data that we use here. We have we have a, a a 10 camera mocap system. We have a Proteus machine. We have Hit Tracks. We have TrackMan. We have Rapsido. We have Force Plates. We have everything here that we use with all of our athletes that, you know, when a guy's coming to us um, from, you know, via the internet or email, we can't really use a lot of that. So we have to find uh, creative ways to find out how much force a guy is producing. We need to look at video and, You know, I'm not going to tell you that it's just as good, and anybody that does is just selling you snake oil. But we feel like we've made it as in-depth and as uh, integrity-based as you possibly can. It involves a lot of videos that the athlete has to send and a lot of movements, uh, and, and we're having great success with it. How'd you decide to focus on just training baseball players? Okay, so... I was a soccer player. Uh, I got a scholarship to play division one ball at Temple University. Um, and I, when I first opened my facility in 2009, uh, I opened it for all athletes. And I said, I was under the impression that I wanted to train all athletes. I thought, you know, there's a bigger pool to select from for business-wise. Uh, my, my future partner came in as a client and he has a degree in marketing and business and he brought in his son who was a very high profile pitcher. And I uh, I had been already up at Eric Cressy's place talking to him about what I was going to do and open a business and I spoke with Mike Boyle and I went and saw Ron Wolforth at the Texas baseball ranch and I was trying to cover all my bases as far as guys that were actually training athletes. And my partner said, listen, um, with your with your knowledge of movement and kinesiology you know pitching is a really complex sport and it's really really a lot of guys i could tell you as a father a lot of guys get injured if you're willing to put your you know colyoni's on the line here uh, you know you'll be able to separate yourself from kind of like what eric did you know cressy did like yeah, there's I think a lot ron, to keep con-
0: and and eric were kind of the first ones you know it started with yeah. ron wilforth and right. Eric kind of. As took, far as took, baseball
1: goes, yes. but Mike Boyle is the godfather of performance training, as far as I'm concerned. I remember him from back in the 80s. So, but um, but yes, Eric Cressy and Ron Wolforth. Ron on the on the assessment side and the pitching mechanic side, and Eric on the strength and conditioning side. Yes. My background is as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I, I relied a lot on Eric and I went and visited um, I went and visited Ron Wolferth, and I spoke. I spoke with Paul Nyman, and I I made my in-depth uh, decision to go pitching when my partner said, "Listen, if we specialize on this, in this, we can put tunnels in here, and we can actually get guys in here, and you'll become, you'll have a niche." And he said, from a business standpoint, generally, a niche uh, creates more of an expertise. And it, uh, you know, you may not get the football players and the basketball players, but you're going to get all of the baseball players in your area. And that's what happened.
0: Of all the new stuff that's out, what do you feel like you're using the most out of everything that's out there? Or is it just kind of everything, depending on the athlete, what you're using, or, or is there one thing that's out there that's more important than the other ones?
1: Well... The one thing that I saw the biggest change in performance with my athletes was VBT. Uh, I've been I've been doing it now for probably six or six years, seven years. A, a, a lot earlier than mostly anybody. Uh, I remember I got it. I I was reading uh, articles by Brian Mann, Doctor Brian Mann, uh, and you know. I was like, wow, this makes complete sense to me. Also, you forgot to mention, I do have a book on velocity-based training called How to Apply Science, Technology, and Data, and you can get it on Amazon. It's released by Human Kinetics. But anyway, VBT was absolutely um, the biggest game-changer because it it, it it created such autonomy with the young athletes, the college and the high school guys. Um, it, it It let them take control of and understand... What load they should be using, you know? If we're looking for this speed and you're not making it, take some weight off. They don't have to wonder if they're using the right weight anymore. You give them a speed, and that speed correlates, I think it's somewhere between 97 and 99% accuracy of a one rep max. So if we're looking for, say, 65% of a one rep max, I know that that's around 075 uh, Meters per second, and I put it on their program. And we even have it on our wall in the in the strength and conditioning room. Um, you know, if guys are if you're in a if you're in a max strength phase, we're looking for anywhere between 0.50 to 0.35 meters per second. If you're in accelerative strength, we're looking for this. If you're if we're training power, and we're looking for 40 to 60 percent or 20 to 40 percent, they all have speeds, and. Because a kid doesn't know what 20 to 40% is. He's, he's you know, you tell him, okay, 40% of your one rep max. While he does get his one rep max on his program from his initial testing, you know, he's not going to sit there and do the math of 20%. What does, he, what does he use, 20? Does he use 40? Does he use 35? Well, we give him a zone, and then we see where he's creating the most power, at what number. Some guys will produce it. If we're looking for 20 to 40%, some guys will do it at 30%. Some guys will do it at 35. Some guys will do it at 40. Every guy has a different... Uh, point where his power is the most and where he produces it the best and that's the number he should be at and you have a bad day, this is the best part about it. You have a bad day, you didn't get sleep, you had a fight with your girlfriend, you had bad grades, finals were happening, something's going on, you went out last night and tied one on too long, whatever it may be um, and you come in and you put 375 on the bar and you're not making your number, guess what? It's not 375 today. Go down until you make your number. And it allows you to auto-regulate for stress immediately. And it takes a lot. And then all my guys have to do is walk around and just make sure that they're getting that number with good form. So then it makes coaching form so much better because they're not worrying about the weight. Yeah,
0: And, And that was a big thing for us later on. It was like, how fast are you moving things? Same thing with playing. You know, how fast is your arm moving? How fast is your swing working? It's the same thing. So the, the training piece for that, I think, towards the end of when I was done, made way more sense to me. Like, let's see how fast we can move things with good form. Uh, but it's the same thing when you're in the cage with, with hitting or pitching. Okay, you need the radar gun or soda or whatever to let you know, like, what's your 70%, what's your 80% today? Like that that all made sense to me with the training piece. Like, okay, let's see how fast we can get it moving more than, than how much weight we're moving at times too.
1: And by letting them know that they're going for a number, the concentric phase gets very, very explosive. And they lift, we tell them every time, we're not really doing anything. Anything slow in the weight room, just like you wouldn't throw a pitch in slow motion. So we're not trying to we're not trying to lift something in slow motion. We might use a slow eccentric phase, but when it's time to produce power, pow. We're really everything is always as fast as possible, and you have to always accentuate with proper form. Because a lot of times guys will go for that number and form will go out the window and you got to tell them, dude, that's just not making it. You know, you're, 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 you're arching your back, you know, your arms are coming way behind your body. You got to correct things too. Yeah. You're still a coach.
0: You know, I, I was diving into some of your articles and, and the, the first one that popped out, was four ways to improve your command and, and uh, control in the weight room, which I think goes into some of the velocity based training stuff. Correct?
1: Yes. I, well, uh, How to control your 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 command a lot of that has to do with creating strength to create stability to being able to throw from a proper platform i remember um i think i even used it in the article i don't i don't remember that article too much but i do remember that i read an unbelievable uh, quote by a text by lance wheeler saying um you know can you if you had to text somebody and you were standing still, or you tried to do it on a treadmill, where do you think you would make more mistakes? And that's a brilliant, brilliant way of looking at the front foot and what kind of a stable base of support are we, Are we? Uh, producing with our throwers to allow them to you know while no really no delivery i believe is repeatable there's just too many factors creating a really stable base lets you get as close to that as possible if you're constantly throwing from a different angle and you have to adjust not only are you going to have a hard time doing that but it also creates a lot of havoc on your arm you know trying to find that slot do you have guys work out with their uh, shoes off I do have guys work out with their shoes off. I do, and you know, unless a guy feels really funny about it, um, guys, right now when you see guys walk in my weight room, first thing they do is they go to the cubby. I have 14 VBTs or 12 or something units there. They'll sign one out, and they'll take their shoes off, and they get in the weight room. And I, I have to tell you, for those guys that are a little hesitant to, for buy-in from your athletes, the first two years. That I tried to use VBT, I didn't know if it was actually going to work because the kids didn't want to be dealing with it. I'm not a huge proponent of looking at your phone while you're in the weight room, so we can either use iPads or um, if they are looking at their phone and they're looking at velocity for their lift, I'll take that. You know what I mean? Um, just not, just no talking or texting. But yeah, I do have them. I do have them lift with their with their shoes off. So when you're watching a guy, because this is one of your other
0: articles, how to fix some mechanical issues. So when you're watching a guy throw, what are some things that stick out? Like, okay, this is where we need to implement something in the weight room from them coming from their pitching mechanics.
1: All right. So the first thing, the first thing I always tell my guys to look at um, from a movement standpoint is how do they gather up in the balance position? Because from that position, we get to the next position, which is how do they load? Okay. And those two things happen really slow, okay? They're the most easy to see and, uh, you know, most of the time, anything that we see at Footplant or even after happens so quickly that we have to backtrack where that happened. And if we see something bad at Footplant, we can pretty much know that we're gonna find that problem further upstream where they started. So it's the, it's the most important position to me to get into uh, correctly. So we will look at their balance point. Are they staying nice and stacked? Or is their foot wobbling? Um, how do they load that front foot? Is it in or is it out or is it flat against the rubber? Is it hooked on the rubber? That all has to do with their hip mobility. And then do they drift? How much do they drift? And how quickly do they load? Are they a slow loader? Or are they a quick loader? And those are the things that we look at the most because they are the things that you can see really easily at the beginning of a of a, of, of analyzing a delivery. And we can go back to our uh, we can go back to the drawing board and look at mobili- our mobility, the athlete's mobility. And if he's having you know if he's having a hard time loading, let's look at his strength levels. Let's look at the uh, the bias of his hips. Um, Does he have a lot of ER and only a little bit of IR? That means maybe he needs to bring his foot out a little bit and use that ER he has to compensate. Does he need to land a little bit more closed? So all the stuff that we see in the assessment when when we check him on the force plates, how quickly does he get in and out on a Haydn? Uh, if he gets in and out really quickly, he has pretty good landing mechanics. That'll tell us that maybe this is a quick loading guy. Maybe he needs to drift a little bit more and load late. A guy that's really strong that can jump out a mile but takes a an hour to get off the mat. That's kind of more of a gorilla type guy that I call that will 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 have him you know load earlier and stay in that back leg as he goes down. So these are all different things, but it all involves the back leg. So that's a long-winded answer to your question of what I look at first.
0: I, it's amazing to me how hard guys are throwing now because I was I was at a high school game on Friday. I was at a Division two game on, on Saturday. I saw Wake in Miami yesterday. There's present velocity at every level now, which is amazing to me because you didn't see it back in the old days. And I, I saw an 85 oh, to 88 oh. year old, 88 mile an hour junior in high school. And then it was 88 to 92 on the division two side. And then there were some 95s and 97 on the division one side yesterday, which is awesome.
1: I'm training two freshmen in high school remotely right now. One, I believe, is from Cleveland and one is from Pennsylvania. And both of them are 88 to 90, and they're they're 15 years old. And one of them is six four and 185 pounds, so it's it's really it. The dynamic has absolutely changed. And while I don't believe that you just have to worry about velocity. Um, you do have to worry about velocity if you if you're trying to get to the next level because there's guys out there that are throwing hard and throwing strikes.
0: Yeah, that that's the crazy thing. It's like they're hard but throwing strikes. I mean, the high school kid I saw on Friday was one of the most polished kids I've seen in a long time, and it was three. It was a three pitch mix for strikes. It was a 85 to 87 cutter, really good cutter, college cutter for a high school kid, and had good feel on a changeup. So I, I think the the place that we're at in baseball is great because the present velocity is good, but the command's still good for guys.
1: Well, with the, with, with the advent of, of looking at ball movement with edutronic cameras and Rapsido and, and TrackMan, um, it's really, really done um, wonders. I, I myself, uh, my partner, being that he has a degree also in physics, he's very, very into ball movement and reading rapsodo as well as my coaches. Uh, and it's amazing to me how I can watch one of my coaches do a, do a rapsodo bullpen with a guy and start changing movement almost immediately, almost immediately. And when the kids see this, they're amazed. Um, I will tell you also that you can, change, you can change movement by changing movement on their body as well. You know, getting better, getting more mobility, being able to stay on the ball longer is going to be able to let you come down on that ball, get more vertical break. So sometimes trying to trying to change a grip when a guy's releasing the ball early, he doesn't really have the leverage to come down on that ball or, or, or move it the way you would, you know, ideally like it to be. So it's a combination of of, you know, using data and, um, you know, looking at the body.
0: With your high school guys, how much are they training in season now? I know this is Five a hot, hot, hot button topic for, for coaches, especially coaches that don't realize. You mean how much
1: are they training right now in season, or how yes. much do they train off season? No, in season right now. Uh, I tell them to try to get in here two two. Uh, you know, for the guys that are like thirteen to sixteen, tell them try to get in here two days a week. Uh, the guys that are you know the guys that are juniors and seniors, I tell I tell them still try to get here three four days a week. You know, if you can. Um, dead minimum for me is two. Uh, we can we can maintain and and monitor that controlled fall that we see happen for guys who don't train um, by coming in two days a week we're not going to lose our 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 absolute strength, things that go away or um, our power numbers if we train those two things uh, in the weight room while they're playing baseball and the guys that do that. They don't get that controlled fall. They maintain their weight a little better because getting them working out gets them eating. Um, It also puts on muscle and keeps that muscle. And we see guys who, we see guys in in the key factor is at the end of April and May, when things are starting to get important in the season, as far as going longer into the season uh, and playoffs, we see the guys that, that train in season, their velocity is still the same or sometimes even higher. Than it was when they started. Yeah, because that's an injury piece too.
0: Like I, I, I just don't know. I don't know why people still think like lifting's not important the entire calendar year. The twelve, it should be a twelve-month deal. Like you especially, should never get
1: away from it. Especially since the fact that you just said was how much harder guys are throwing. Yes. Uh, guys are throwing harder, you know what? But this joint is this joint. And this joint has been this joint since the beginning of time. So we are putting way more torque on it. We're putting more forces on this joint. And guys, if they can't, if they can't put on muscle to help disperse that stress when they're coming down the mound, muscle acts like, not only does it help keep the joint in a, in a, in a stable position, it also acts as a, as a shock absorber for the lower half when you land. Yep, yep, for sure.
0: You know, for somebody that doesn't, you know, drift is kind of a new term. Um, for somebody that, that's listening in that maybe doesn't understand what drift actually is, go
1: through that. All right, drift, uh, for me, I guess uh, different people may have different uh, ways they, they define it. For me, a drift is the, the movement of your center of mass as you start to lift your leg prior to starting to load and drive. So, you'll see a good example of that was Jacob, is Jacob de Gram or was Tim Lindseycomb. But there are all degrees of drifting. Um, some guys will drift out two inches, three inches. Some guys will drift out eight inches. You know, some guys have a longer drift, some guys have a shorter drift. That goes back to are they going to load? For a longer period of time, those guys don't drift as much. That's why you'll probably see the long, lean guys. They drift a lot longer because they don't actually have – they have those long lever arms, those long legs. They don't generally have the, uh, the the same amount of strength to be able to load and hold that load with long legs for a really long period of time. So they'll fall like a tree, almost like timber, you know what I mean? And what that drift does is it changes the angle of your back leg so when you do start to push or drive you're already at an angle and it starts to move you quicker with less push
0: yeah that's the, the ride the slide piece too but ride, ride the slide ride lance the slide. wheeler
1: once again <laughs> Ride the slide
0: i mean I, I, and it made sense it
1: makes sense
0: but but how, how do we do that without the how expense long do you the, ride the slide? And, and and how do we do that without the expense of the ball getting up late you know that that was the thing. Like that's that fine line is, is we're gonna drift, but not at the expense of when the front foot lands, the ball's still got to be up in a good position to throw from.
1: One hundred percent, and that's where you have to play with it. You have to you have to figure out okay, drifting long for this guy. We. And I'm gonna tell you, sometimes you miss the mark. We look at a guy, we look at his anthropometrics. He's got long lever arms. He seems like this might be a guy who actually can produce force and needs to actually drift that might not have the strength. Um, and then we'll see, you know what? The arm, he's hes drifting really, really long, but he needs to get his arm up. His arm for some reason is not getting up. Or a guy who's drifting really short, maybe he needs to drift longer to give himself some time to get the arm up. You know um very rarely do we talk about how quickly you get your arm up just make um, we sure just it's wanna, there well, we want to make sure it's in a good position sure <laughs> and if it's not in a good position we play with timing of the lower half yeah. and that's going to help you and you know there are guys i'm mean, granted i see guys pulling their arm out like this behind them for a mile and then they're late you know what i mean so in that extent and in that, in that situation, um, we, will, we will work on how they're, how they're breaking their hands. You know what I mean? We might want to shorten that up a little bit. Or there's guys that just go up, you know what I mean? Who, who, because they just go up, they have so much tension in their arm that their arm doesn't keep that nice whip. For those guys, we're like, listen, dude, relax your face and just maybe, maybe lengthen your arm path a little bit so you can get loose so this arm can kick back and delay back. Everything's, everything's a test. Yeah,
0: it is. Any thoughts on the World Baseball Classic?
1: Uh, I think it's great. Uh, I didn't watch much of it, but I do feel like when I was watching it, I felt like I was watching, cause my, my sport was soccer. So I did feel like I was watching the World Cup a little bit and I kind of dig that, you know what I mean? I do like that, um, you know, we took, we took the American pastime and we, we're, we're, we're turning it on to the whole world you know, and we're making because there's a lot of great players that aren't American. <laughs> Obviously, we all know that, right? So um, I, I think loved that
0: Otani's re- pregame speech to the Japanese team. I don't know if you saw it. He was I like, didn't see hey, it. It was awesome. He said, "Hey, I know we emulate the Americans." He goes, "But we got to put that aside for one for one game." It was awesome. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Beautiful. What what can baseball the baseball world take from the soccer world? Um. Because I'm a soccer guy also.
1: That is a really, really uh, – that's a great question. Boy, you got me on that one. What can they take from the soccer world? Um, a soccer player's conditioning. Uh, soccer player's conditioning is en- enormously important to their sport as I feel every, every conditioning is, is important to every sport. Now, do they need the same type of conditioning as a, as a soccer player? No. But I do think sometimes in baseball we feel – like conditioning is not needed, Um, just do some sprint work and you're going to be fine because it's so fast. And while there's a lot of truth to that, I do think that there's a recovery aspect to conditioning by doing low steady state cardiovascular exercise at different times of the year, like in the off season or a little bit after a, after a start. And I don't mean running Poles. I mean, just doing some light aerodyne work, some bike work, um, some tempo runs. Not a lot of lot. Not a lot of time. Maybe 15 minutes of low heart rate after a start to help flush a little bit and actually um, help cardiovas help stroke volume of the heart produce more uh, blood with each beat. It helps guys uh, pitch to pitch, inning to inning, position game to players game. too.
0: Like nobody talks yeah. about the position players. Like. I, I- Nine, seven or nine innings is a long time. You're going to right. be on your feet for a long time. And if yep. you don't have a general base built up, and I mean, you're dealing with, with 12 and 13-year-olds too. I mean, how, how do you take a kid who's maybe not conditioned at all? They have to get some sort of general conditioning in before they start doing everything, anything else.
1: It's really important, and it's even more important nowadays because kids don't climb trees anymore. They don't go out and ride bikes. They get, they get shuffled from event to event by their parents in, in a car. They're sitting in school. They're on their phones in kyphotic positions. Got kids are kids are so deconditioned. I've never had so many 15-year-old kids come in for the first time in an assessment, and the parents tell me, you know, he has a lot of lower back pain. When I was 15 years old, I didn't even know what lower back pain meant. It was like there was no kids. With, I don't have was, it as a 48-year-old. And, we, year old. Like, and I- we were playing sports and climbing trees and jumping and running and falling down and falling off our bikes. We didn't have bad backs. It's like, you know what I mean? Cause we weren't in these positions that I'm actually sitting in right now talking to you. We didn't, we weren't in these positions. And I think that conditioning um, accomplishes a lot of things. A, I try to make a young person's conditioning um, involve as much different types of movement as possible to emulate sports because I think that we have a, uh, a very early, early specialization happening right now with sports. And even though I train baseball players for a living, um, I will tell you that I try to tell the young guys, listen, man, you got a lot of time. Don't don't just play baseball if you, if you can help it. And when I interview a lot of really successful coaches, they say the same thing. And that's, you know, I would love for them to just say, hey, man, just stay in here and train for baseball year round. But, you know, you could come in here and train year round, but you need to go out and you need to move other ways just for, you know, at least till you're in 11th grade.
0: When are you assessing your high school kids throughout the year? I mean, because obviously they're going to be in a heavy workload phase here in the spring and they head heading into the summer. When are, when are you assessing those guys?
1: We assess, we assess at the beginning of the off-season, we assess at the end of the off-season so we can t- take down some data as they get into in-season. So if in the middle of the in-season or at the end of the in-season something wasn't going right with their mechanics or their hitting or anything, we can go back, we can reassess them and look what they looked like. What were, what were all these, what was their force output? What was their hip mobility? What was their T-spine mobility? How well were they uh, moving? um when we when they left here in march feeling great moving great hitting throwing great and now they're in a little bit of a slump what changed and then we'll assess them again at the beginning of the in season again at the beginning of the off season in september yeah.
0: I mean what are you seeing mostly out of them like if when somebody gets off a little bit what are you seeing usually why why is somebody off a little bit
1: okay so Honestly, the first thing that's, that makes kids off a little bit is that they lose a ton of weight once they start, once they stop lifting, okay? So a kid will come in here and they'll put on 15 pounds in the off season and he's strong and he's fast and he's moving great. And now all of a sudden, that's that controlled fall I was talking about. If they don't come in and train in season, that weight, the, the weather gets warmer they're throwing to live batters a lot of the things they've learned when they especially when they're younger goes out the window when they're looking at a live pitch or when they're throwing to a live batter um, they're dehydrated they're going to school they're traveling in cars in the summer to to do and, and all of a sudden this wreaks havoc on a kid's body and diet and they come in and in the combination of not lifting and not eating well and not getting good sleep and you know playing baseball in the heat multiple games they come in in September and they're their, their, their arms are hanging, their exit velos are down behind the plate, um, and you look at them and they've, they've lost like 11 pounds, you know what I mean? And and that's the number one thing, and then what ends up happening is, like I just told you, we see recently, we've seen um, a lot of kids come in and that loss of weight is a loss of velocity, it's also lower back pain, we see a lot. and ridiculously, ridiculously tight internal rotation in their in their lead hip.
0: But how many high school kids that you have come in are on top of their nutrition?
1: Um, in our place, more and more every year, because we seem to be stressing it more and more. We actually give them a handout and we will refer a nutritionist to them if they even want to take it to the next level. I'm not going to tell you that I'm a nutritionist, but I have a I have a printout that I give kids and I tell them, listen man, This at, at your age, at your weight, at your height, this is how much we would like you to weigh with lean muscle mass. That doesn't mean go eat pizzas and just put on baggage. It means put on good weight. And in order to do that, we tell them, we'll show them samples of shakes we think they should drink. We'll give them a sample meal plan. We'll even give them a formula to figure out how many calories they should be eating and how many of them should be coming from protein, how many should be coming from carbohydrates, and how many should be coming from fats. And it really works well. Uh, Also, making them weigh in in the off season, we did not do it for the first time in a couple years this year. And I regret not doing that. And I'm gonna go right back. I wrote in my notes, um, that helped daily me more weigh-ins. than
0: anything, honestly. I just, Yo, I, if you're daily competitive, weigh-ins. I think you want to see it. Like, I, I, you need to see where you're at if you're competitive. And we've done some really good nutrition episodes here. We've had some really good nutrition. It's on the episode, on, on the podcast. It's at, been awesome.
1: We really, really tried to not let anything slip through the cracks. And this year, we were so busy. And that's not an excuse. We, we actually did not have daily weigh ins. And I mean daily. Right? And I have a chart up on the wall of 100 kids and they put their weight in when they get in here. Um, and it makes them accountable. And try to do it at the it
0: same time every day. I think that's something yep. that, that people get sidetracked with. Try well, to young weigh, kids, in, they pretty weigh much in at do. the same time. If you're gonna weigh in, if you're gonna do it, just make sure it's the same time every day that you do it.
1: The pro guys and the indie ball guys and, 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 and even the upper level college guys, the, the little bit more experience with higher training age and more elite athletes that we train, they're very good about it. Yeah. But getting young kids to buy in, you know, there's a, there's kids that come in here and they're, they're 5'10", they're 14 years old and they weigh like 119 pounds. I'm like, there's no way that you should be weighing 119 pounds when you're 15 years old and you're 5'10". You know what I mean? And sure enough, if he doesn't gain weight, I tell his parents, your son's arm's gonna start to hurt. And it does, yes. it yeah. usually does if they don't put that weight on. Are there
0: any practices going on right now that need to go away?
1: Yes. Travel teams who want to encompass strength training into their programs, if they can do it really, really well, it's great. But I think that we see it all the time. We, we see a, an athlete... It used to be that athletes on travel teams, they would, they would. a lot of these travel teams are run by guys who also have facilities that pitch and hit. So they make extra money with these travel teams. And then what happens is um, they come to us to strength train. And then what happens is they see the pitching and the hitting and the data and everything. Then they wanna pitch and hit with us as well. And we've watched over the course of the last three or four years, uh, guys say, wow, you know what? we gotta put strength training in our place so they don't go there at all. Cause we're losing a lot of them before it was okay. And what, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're putting in a bench and they're putting in a, a, a one power rack and they're giving them ladder and cone drills and they're calling it speed work. Uh, ladder and cone drills make you good at ladder and cone drills. Yeah. You know, if you don't actually learn how to absorb force and reproduce it again, um, you're not going to get faster, and if you don't get stronger, you're not going to get faster. So yes, one uh, of the we practices... use ladder and
0: cones is warm up. That it basically exactly was, it, it was, it was a long term exactly. athlete development warm up piece like that. It's, that was it. It was just to get the body going and and get the blood going.
1: And it's great stiffness training because you you don't you know you don't fully get into bigger positions. So it's really great for um they're called fast stretch shortening cycle exercises. But the slower ones that you have to do like working on your landing mechanics, that's how you get fast. You can't change direction. The guy that changes direction the quickest, that's the guy really who's the fastest. Yeah. You know? You can get two guys with a 60 time that's a little bit a little bit different. Granted, that's going to maybe affect his time from home the first, which is big but as far as getting a, a, a ball going through his legs or as as far as posting up when you or blocking when you're hitting or posting up when you're pitching that's change of direction speed and that that happens through learning how to good landing mechanics, just running through, just running through ladders as fast because kids want to do it as fast as they can. They do not care what their form looks like when they land. They do not care what their form looks like when they push off. And it just, it's, it's just conditioning work. You know, it's no different really than jogging.
0: And we use it for, to, to challenge for outfielders, infielders. We use ladders as, as different drill work to challenge them, you know, moving side to side just for something different. Uh, from a drill standpoint when we were fielding
1: uh, just just this challenge stuff that was it and for young kids 10 11 and 12 you got to make that stuff as fun yeah. as possible and they love it right and for 22 year olds too
0: like they're, yeah. they're, they're still kids like I, right, they're not they're any different they're
1: still they're not and as different. a warm up as a warm up for a 22 year old that's okay yes. but that can be the bulk of your speed training when you're 10 and 12 years old okay. cuz it's going to actually get you uh in just excited about doing it in the first place.
0: You know, with your difference with your pro guys and your amateur guys, do you think it is just how their prep is? You know, that's probably the difference for me from an amateur kid to a pro is how they go about their business.
1: I also think an amateur kid is still wondering if he's going to get into the game at a higher level and even a semi-pro or a pro guy, they're in it, they're getting paid, and they're actually realizing that, hey, I'm at the very. I'm at the. I'm at. I'm close to the top of this pyramid right now. And they buckle down and they see a light at the end of the tunnel. The young kids at the beginning, they just want to have fun. And then there's this weird period between like 13 to 15 where they're think they want to go to college for it. They don't know yet. That's that's the challenge of being diligent about your training is getting those guys to be a little bit more diligent um, because. They at this point they don't they don't really have much to lose. Whereas the older guys they see it that's right there they can grab it. So they take some of the fun out of it for those guys too, though. Like it does, it does. But the guys that have fun, um, I will tell you that a couple years ago, Anthony those are the ones that make
0: it. Honestly, the ones that can keep it fun and uh, those are the ones that that have an opportunity because they don't make it too big.
1: So this is going to bring up a great point: the ones who make it. So you know, yesterday Anthony Volpe, you know. Signed with, with with the Yankees to actually play, you know, on the team and start the season with them, and he was at my place a couple a couple like two years ago in the summertime, um, or in the or no in the fall right before spring training, and he was here for about a month, and he was working on his conditioning, and he when he was in the gym, he looked like a fifteen year old kid. He loved being here, and you know what? He moved great. There's a reason why he's playing. You know, he moved great, he was fast, he was strong. And, and you know what, he loved working out. He just looked like he dug it. Yeah.
0: W- with him, w- what supplements are, is he using? Is he using any I, supplements?
1: I have no idea because I haven't had contact with him for years. He was here for maybe like six weeks in, an, in the off season, like a couple years ago, before he went down to Tampa. Yeah.
0: W- with the guys in the facility, where do they use them supplement wise?
1: A lot of them like creatine. Um, you know, the, uh, some of them. I, I will tell you, some of them use that pre-workout, which I can't stand. I really, really don't like pre-workout. And I'm if a you need... pre-workout guy, but as, a, Yo, as an
0: adult, not as a college player, I didn't use just any get pre-workout. some. Just get better it, it wasn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, just,
1: yes. eat right and get better sleep. There's there's good pre-workout right there. <laughs> eat right and get better sleep. The pre-workout, um, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. And yes. Eat, the smell of that stuff when they're mixing it—it it smells like detergent. I just can't even imagine the chemicals that they're putting in their body at this point. I but,
0: know. I know. I'm, I'm with you. Would, but as a 48-year-old, I would I'd use it. But any, I'm gonna, any so kids I'm gonna, listening and don't—you don't need it. Like you don't. So
1: I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm 60 and I work out five days a week and I use what's called a thing called maca root. M-A-C-A. Okay. Maca root. And it's a powder and it is uh it's amazing for for your strength and for your endurance and um taking maca is a huge thing as far as what brand are you
0: using for maca? um
1: there's a place called whole botanicals uh that makes it you can find it at the vitamin shop you you got it. There's a big thing. Sometimes people don't say take raw maca. Sometimes people say you want to take the maca that's been boiled. Um, I've been finding that uh, the cooked maca is the one that everybody always says has the best benefits. Some people say raw. I, I'm not that much of a uh, of an advocate on it. But there is a company called Whole Botanicals. I think I believe it's called. Um, that seem to have the best. And make sure make sure it says that it's a product of Peru. Because they make it in California, they make it all over the place, in China, in Japan. Make sure you're getting you know, Peruvian maca made from Peru.
0: So your personal workouts, what are you doing for yourself personally with your workouts?
1: I work out, uh, I do full body strength training three days a week, uh, whether that focuses on max strength or um, muscular endurance. At my age is important because they're the things that go away the quickest. Um, I go go eight weeks max strength, eight weeks muscular endurance, eight weeks max strength. And these are three day a week full body workouts. And then um, two days a week, I do energy system work for an hour, which keeping my heart rate one day at a low heart rate, like 60 to 70% of my max heart rate. And then the other day I do threshold training where I put it up, Probably like eight, 80 to ninety percent of my maximum heart rate for a while, and I go in and out of that for that day because you can't do that for an hour. How are you tracking um, your heart rate? I use a heart. I use a Polar heart monitor, and I also track my HRV with a uh, with a device called Morpheus, uh, developed by Joel Jameson. I'm a big fan of Joel. Um, if you ever never checked out any of Joel's stuff, it's incredible, incredible stuff on on um, energy. S- system work, and I'm really, really uh, highly into it energy system work. As I know, I'm going to, to, actually, I was telling you, going to interview Mike Boyle this weekend, I'm going to talk to him about energy system work because I don't get a chance to talk about it so much with baseball players because of the fact that they have a very small amount of energy system work that they do. But because my background was soccer and because of my age now, it's really, really important once you're not playing a sport anymore, I believe, is to get the conditioning of your heart as, as, as good as possible. And, um, I my my they they uh, were the condition. first group
0: that I saw using the vests you know the, the heart rate monitor vests like that was the first group that I saw at uh, University of Iowa that was the first place I saw it with our women's women's soccer team is, is yeah they were using it Ron Rainey who's at Dartmouth now was was big into it so that was the first place I saw it this was a bit about maybe 2011-12 is that's the first place I started to see the vests
1: I have my guys now um, because a lot of them have whoops or they have Apple watches. So the good thing about that is they do have heart monitors on there. So now when I give them their movement days, I tell them I want them to keep that movement between a specific heart rate, it's generally 130 to 155, 135 to 155 for them. That's zone two. That's going to enlarge the left ventricle. It's gonna give them much better conditioning. It's gonna make them recover better. And I tell them, if you get up over 155 or 160, We're not going to go there. We're gonna go higher and we're gonna do sprint work on certain days when we're trying to really elevate you. We're either gonna do low heart rate training or high heart rate training, like the Charlie Francis method. That middle of the road, it's a little too ballistic to recover and it's a little too low to really train high heart rate for when you're in game. So we train movement days low and then when it gets closer to the season, we hit finishers with our sprint work. When did you start your own podcast? I started my own podcast, I think, in June. Um, So it's been pretty recent for you. It's pretty recent, but I talked
0: about that pre-call. Like I have a lot more fun going on somebody else's podcast. So it's it's. I do them every
1: week too. Once a week, I do them every week. I'm I'm on like x episode fifty, I think, right now. Um, and I'm I love it because it's. It's one of the things in the, in, in, in the recent times that has really, really made me learn a lot. There's a lot of aha moments, right, when you do a podcast. You leave. I leave sometimes, and I, I hang up, and I go, that was great. I see you writing things down right now, you know? They're aha moments. They're, they're really at our age, right, when you, get, when you get to take something home at the end of the day, that's a good day. Yeah. You know what I mean? So...
0: Yeah, we just hit two hundred. So obviously, uh, Sheets was doing it before I got here. But just right, I interviewed him actually to to think about doing that many in a row. Like it's fun for me. I just something that that I enjoy a lot. I love doing it. Love it.
1: Yeah, I love. I thought I was not. That was my partner's idea. He said, "Man, listen, you you're really good at speaking. You you speak all over the country. You should do a podcast." You know. So I said, "All right, I'll give it a shot." Had to go get a microphone. Had to get it all set up, figure it out. And then I realized wow, you know, uh, 45 minutes to an hour of this is looking up the person, finding out about the person figuring out the questions you're going to ask him. Maybe you have to bone up yourself a little bit on stuff so you don't ask dumb questions, right? And then the answers you get back, you write down, and you take stuff home with you about that. It's a big learning experience. It, it, like for a, for a 45-minute podcast sometimes, you know, I prepare three hours for a 45-minute podcast sometimes.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's these are great because stay- I don't have to prepare, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I don't send the questions out because it's like okay, I, I, you know, we may get to them, we may not. Um, I just want it to be free flowing for people listening in. But I, you know, it's been gratifying for me to 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 do this. It's been fun, right? Fun. Do you have a fail forward moment? Awesome. Do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now, was one of the best things that happened to you?
1: Yes, one of them was taking on a partner in my business um, you know I was always my own boss all my life um, <clears throat> I didn't ever have to share anything as far as what I did and how I structured my business with anyone but when he came in and, and, and said hey I'd love to be a part of this uh, I was I was a little hesitant at first and me and my wife talked about it um, And it was the best thing I ever did because A, he's a really great and honest guy and he knows a lot about the business side and marketing and things that I don't know about. And he leaves me in my wheelhouse and I leave him in his and it creates a really good business model because neither one of us try to jump into somebody else's stuff.
0: How did you pull the trigger on that? I mean, for somebody that's been with on their own forever, how how did you eventually pull it and trust that that was going to work?
1: So for the, first, for the first 15 years since I came out of college and then I got my CSCS and then I started working in New York City and I started um, working at Equinox and New York Sports Club and all these private sector gyms, um, I was always jonesing to train athletes because I was one and then i started training with a facility in new york city that trained just athletes then my daughter was born and i moved just outside the city and i opened up my own place and that was a little bit scary you know what i mean um but the way i the way i ended up pulling the trigger was um the business was the business was doing really really well but um it was hard for me to spread my brand because I wasn't well-known. And my partner was really, really good at – he, one of the things he brought up was we need to let people know that you exist. And I had been open maybe m- with my own business. I had been open maybe f- five years, four years maybe when he came on board. And as soon as he came on board, um, the business side of it got better. The uh, – the planning of it got better and it, every everything was better because of it uh, we have a new restaurant that just opened up by our house
0: like three blocks but you can't even find them online anywhere so i walked in there the other day i'm like hey your food is great nobody knows you're here
1: <laughs> as long as you don't have too much on the menu
0: <laughs> nobody knows you're here like your food's phenomenal it's a yeah. old grandma that cooks aunt e you know, it's a it's a family owned business, but I'm like, you guys need to advertise. Like your food's phenomenal and she's in here, your grandma's in here cooking, she does a good job. I'm like, you need to advertise and get on social media.
1: Yeah, I think that the social media thing is is has become the way to do it. Yeah. And unfortunately, unfortunately, and um unfortunately, I hate doing it. You have Fortunately, to, like, you my have partner to. loves it, yes. <laughs> so, so he just tells me, listen, give me three posts, give me three posts, okay. the podcast keeps me in it, um, you know, because we have two, we have the business and then we have my personal one, my personal one, I kind of do myself, but the business one, you know, he needs content, okay. and you know, he's and a business guy. by the guy. way,
0: most famous people don't run their
1: own social media. Right, like, that's a thing.
0: Like everybody's looking at, at this person on on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or
1: whatever, they're hiring people out to run their social media. And I think that I think that maybe twenty five and thirty five year old guys that are that are um, that are new business owners, they're going to be better at it. Uh, I grew up without social media, and I did too. Um, and
0: we grew I grew up without
1: cell phones, email, like, and, and, and I'm glad I did. And me too. I could not be happier and I'm really, really sometimes, sometimes I'm a little bit sad for my kid. Yes. Because I, I actually, um, I see that she doesn't know how to soothe herself without it.
0: Yeah. And how old is that's she? A,
1: she's 22. She's get, getting ready to start her master's at George Washington University um, in public health. She's a great kid, but I see it with her. I see it with all the kids. I see it with the kids in here. I see it with the kids that come in to train. I see the awkwardness. I see um, the inability to immediately take yourself and immerse yourself into a group of guys that you really don't know anything about. And they stay on the outskirts. Um, They don't handle adversity well at all. The littlest thing tips them off over the side. And you know, my partner is much better at going, hey, man, they're kids. This is the era we live in. I'm actually not that good with it. I actually um, sometimes I actually get a little fed up by it, yeah. um, and I'm I'm trying to get better at that. You just want um, them. To,
0: no. the, the hard part is like you want, handle it. it. Just handle it. Yes, like life's gonna give you. Life's gonna hand it to you sometimes. Like this is what we all sign up for on your life journey. Like it's not always gonna be rosy. I think that's the hard thing with social media now. Is like everybody sees everybody's best bolt. Yep. But highlight everybody Real. has baggage. Like everybody has issues. Everybody's baggage. And and you need to figure that piece out. Like if you want to live a fulfilled life, you just need to figure out that everybody deals with stuff. Everybody's going through things.
1: I, I do see, um I do see, and and honestly, I think it's more the parents that are like I'm about 15 years older than you. I see the parents your age. You have um there's an there's an enabling thing that happens with the parents. It's an ego
0: thing. It's an ego thing, and and, and Mike, it drove my kids crazy because my wife and I are not those parents. We are not like So right. it, it, it you know it was weird for us because we were gonna ch- we challenged our kids. We did like my
1: know, brother-in-law tells me all the time. You expect too much. You expect too much. I don't know. I don't know I if don't I expect so. too much. No. I'm not. I'm not an unreasonable guy. Just you know what? Learn how to handle your stuff, man. Yes. Just figure that. Just learn out. how to handle it. Yeah. Figure it out. Yep. Yeah. So if somebody's going to dive into your
0: podcast that hasn't listened to it, like where would you direct them? If you're going to have one or two episodes that okay, these these ones you need to listen to. Which ones would they be?
1: The one I'm getting ready to do with Mike Boyle is yeah. going to be great. That'll be out in a couple of weeks. But uh, there's been so many great ones. I mean, unbelievable ones with 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 Randy Sullivan. Um, I had one with. Uh, Zach DeChant that was really, you know, I, I loved because it was talking about strength and conditioning. Um, you know, the the one that I did with uh with uh Sheetinger, Coach Sheets yeah. was a really good one because we talked a lot about life on that one. That one, you know, he loves talking about that. That was a really, really when I think back on it, that was a great one, you know. And then I've had ton of great pitching coaches, so much to learn from Nate Yeski David Kopp, um just Corey Mascara, uh, you, who you just saw his team yesterday, Wake Forest. Doing a heck of a job, man. He's doing a heck of a job. He's a great pitch. guy too. He's a really fun guy. You know, all all, all of these guys. They're uh, playing Drew with Dickinson. a lot of
0: confidence right now. It's fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun to go watch yeah. teams that are are grooved and and rolling because they are playing with all kinds. You just they're walking around different. Like you can just tell. Like they they got some confidence going.
1: And there's a guy, Corey Mascara, there's a guy that I've known since he was at St. John's. There's a guy who knew nothing about data, nothing. He came in and he was he was the actual antithesis. He was actually, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Now, he's with like the most data, one of the most data-driven programs that but I can gotta imagine. But like, that, you got to
0: thing. have both. You got to have both. And that's what
1: makes him- You have to have both.
0: You, you have to have the data side, but then you have to have somebody that has some feel- Cause it's not always going to be either, or it's going to be both. So you, you have to have the data side, but then there's going to be some feel things that you have to have too, to 1, be able to 000, get people rolling in the right direction.
1: I actually think that you have to have the feel thing first. Yes. And once, you know, once you figure out how to use data, all you're really doing is, is sifting it back through that machine and applying it to the real thing. Yep. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, Data without really an understanding of what you're looking at or what you're feeling, um, to me, is just data. Like Mike Boyle put out this post. He said, I'm an, I'm an experienced-based coach. Um, people were asking him, what do you, you think about um, data-driven, um, data-driven coaching? He said, well, I'm an experienced-driven because, coach because data changes week to week. You know, so getting, being experience driven and using what you know and the actual knowledge of the game or what you're doing or your craft is a necessity before you can, you know, learning data without the roots is like putting, you know, building a house with the roof up and then without the foundation, like, you know, upside down.
0: All right, what's some final thoughts or something I should have asked you that I didn't?
1: My final thoughts... You asked great questions. So as far as that goes, you, you you pretty much, you covered nutrition, we covered arm care, we covered strength and conditioning, we covered all of it. Um, my final thoughts are year over year, and not because I'm a strength and conditioning coach, year over year, um, it is getting better, but I feel like the one thing that the population has not grasped yet is the importance of training in season. Um, We talked about that, I'm glad we talked about it. You have Um, to, you have to train in season, you have to. It's what makes young, it makes what younger athletes eventually just be on a hamster wheel and give up. And it makes what really great and promising um, athletes slump. And it makes what really elite athletes. It makes it shortens careers. So it's it's really a it's almost like a disease. Not Plus, training from a long-term
0: athlete development piece, you're a good example. You're in great shape. Like if you want to live a, a, a well-lived life, you're gonna have to
1: train your entire life. You're gonna have to. If you don't. Ch- I tell the guys when they get in here at 13 years old I said until you die you should be in a weight room at least 2 to 3 times a week right now the rest of your life yes because even if nothing as a father and you and you, you can you can appreciate this I think developing an athletic or healthy lifestyle is even more important for after you're done playing sports yep. because You know, let's face it, a lot of these guys aren't going to play professional ball. But you know what? If you really love and care about the people around you, you want them to feel good throughout their entire life. And my daughter now was a competitive swimmer in college, and now she's done. And you know what? She can't manage, she can't even think about the process, the possibility of not conditioning herself every day anymore. And she goes, she immediately made the transition from not playing sports anymore to going into the gym three to four days a week because it was ingrained in her uh, from the very beginning. And that makes me feel really good as a father, knowing that my daughter will be 35, 40 years old and hopefully going to the gym three to four days a week because it's going to make her a better person. It's going to make her a better mom. It's going to make her a better wife. It's going to make her better at everything. Mental health. And I think mental health, mental health it's just, It's just. I think that um, the one, my final thoughts were, if create a healthy lifestyle for yourself. Um, and don't – if you're a parent, um, I see it a lot, you know, don't be afraid to tell your kids that maybe they should try a little bit harder if you feel like they really should because, you know what? That's tough love, and I, I really honestly believe – It's love. It's not that- tough
0: love. It's love. That, that's yes. love. If, if you love the people that are around you, you're going to be honest with them, even if it hurts. Like, you
1: know, sometimes the tree One- hurts. <laughs> And they're my, they're my, they're my two final thoughts is like, you know what, if you want to, everyone's trying to become a professional baseball player, everyone wants to get money to go to school. You know what, do not stop training in the weight room, get into some good programming, eat right, take care of yourself and parents for younger kids, make sure they're on the good path, get them on a good path, get them around somebody that you trust and be supportive, but don't be afraid to tell them when they're slacking.
0: And be okay when they make mistakes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, I've made it. I continue to make mistakes. I still make mistakes. mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to not make mistakes because then I, I learn something. That, yes,
0: yes. You're not going to learn <laughs> unless you're making mistakes. So, Nunzio, thanks for jumping on with me, man. This was awesome. Hey, man. Thanks so much. I had a great time with Nunzio on the podcast. Appreciate how he's blending old and new training modalities. I wish him and his athletes a safe and successful season. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at ABCA.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at CoachBee underscore ABCA, or direct message me via the My ABCA app. This is Ryan Brownley signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.
1: we